0: 630Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Chad. Drive into summer in a new Acura with lease rates from 0.9% or customer cash rebates up to $6,000 on select Acura models. Visit an Edmonton Acura retailer for details. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630
1: Ched. Making 10 medals for Canada at the Olympics. Hillary Caldwell has won bronze in the women's 200-meter backstroke. Bronze for Victoria's Hillary Caldwell. In the 200 meter backstroke, Canada's 10th medal two gold, two silver, six bronze now, all of them won by women. That is the breaking story as we move along tonight. Third medal of the day for Canada, Rosie McLennan got gold in trampoline, and it was a silver medal for the rowing duel of Lindsay Generick and Patricia. Obi. So there you go. There's the latest on the Olympic Games. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on 630 Ched. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. You can always text 630 630. The phone number is 780 496 0063. Still ahead tonight, you'll hear from Blake Dermott. He's our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Ched. Daryl Davis will check in from Regina, longtime reporter of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, now writes for Three Down Nation. And he's. Uh, on the green zone on CJME in Regina as well. And he was one of the guys on top of this story about the Riders having uh, a suspicious number of players around. A suspicious number of players. They got fined by the Canadian Football League and uh, had some uh, taken off their salary cap, all that kind of fun stuff. So Daryl Davis will check in. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. I'm flipping back to the... uh, CFL game and uh, it's halftime, so I can't see the score. There we go. Uh, Winnipeg taking on Toronto. Eskimos' next game is against the Argos on Saturday. Then a home game against the Riders. Thirteen ten. Winnipeg leading Toronto. Uh, Kellen Kennedy. The number we are going to reach Drew at yep. the middle the middle sequence of digits should be three two four. Okay. Okay, Okay. thanks. So that's how we will get our next guest. We had a bit of a cross-up with the phone number. So we'll get Drew Spivak on the phone right away from Denver Sports 760. Obviously in Denver, a little bit on Patrick Waugh. Yeah, August 11th, yesterday. Yeah, I'm not going to coach the team. Going to step away from that. Michael Phelps, ready to go in the pool as well in the uh, 100-meter butterfly. He'll be in lane two for that one as he uh, chases like his 400th medal or something like that. Uh, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Canadian women's basketball team losing in Rio today. 81-51 to the United States. The Americans are 4-0. They have won 45 straight games at the Olympics. Canada doing very well, but losing by 30 points to the United States. Edmonton's Catherine Plouffe, 6 points in uh, 12 minutes. The Canadian women's soccer team 1-0 over France. Second half goal by uh, Sophie Schmidt. Stony Plains. Stephanie Labbe with the clean sheet, and Canada is on to play Germany in the semis. Another big story today: the United States out. It was a one-one draw with Sweden, and then Sweden won four-three on penalty kicks after the uh, or after overtime. Goalkeeper Hope Solo saying, "We played a bunch of cowards. The best team." Did not win today. I don't know if that was being talked about on uh, Drew's show, but uh, we'll ask him. Drew Spivak from Denver Sports 760 joining us now. Drew, you're on with Reed Wilkins, buddy. How are you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. So what, what what was what's what's going on with Hope Solo saying this? Was this getting a lot of play south of the border today?
2: Not really. Not not here in Denver, especially. We had the Broncos playing last night, so of course here in Denver, it's uh, it's pretty much all Broncos 24 seven three sixty five. But yeah, I mean, I watched that game today, and I and I heard her comments, and I was I was blown away by that. I mean, talk about just like a poor sport and, and stuff. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with her in the fact that you know the better team maybe didn't win, but hey, Sweden did what they had to do to protect the lead and and, and do what they had to do to win the game and and create a monumental upset. But I I couldn't believe what what her, she had to say after the game. I mean, that was that was a little bit ridiculous, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things. Hey, we all we all see have seen it happen, Drew sometimes we know if two teams played each other 10 times, one team would win eight or nine, but you got to do it on that day. And my counter to what hope is it's like, sure you had 25 shots at the goal as opposed to three. Well, put an extra one in, right? Or stop yeah, the three that, that no came question.
2: your way. Yeah, no question about it. And especially, you know, I mean, I, those first couple penalty takes that she took, she looked completely lost and confused when, you know, she had an opportunity to come through and make a couple saves. I mean, I know she had the, the one save in the penalty kicks there, which wasn't bad, but yeah, it was it was a disheartening game. I mean, because that the U.S. just completely dominated that entire time, and so many missed opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net. It's it's kind of sad to see, but it's it's hard to be too mad at this team because you know they went out and won a World Cup last year, and so you know you look, I guess, at the totem pole as far as important your you know important events in the soccer calendar. I think the Olympics was probably at the bottom of it. But, yeah, it's so sad to see her make those kind of comments like that.
1: Yeah, they won the World Cup, of course, uh, in Canada. They played, I believe it was their quarterfinal here in Edmonton, Drew. I want to say I'd have to go back and look, but they definitely did touch base uh, uh, in Edmonton for sure. Uh, all right, I should ask you about Michael Phelps. I mean, just, is he... I mean, what what, 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 what? what? He's not a football player. He's not a baseball player. I doubt a lot of American sports fans follow his exploits in between the Olympics. But, uh, but I mean, is how how revered is he in your country? You know, I
2: think he's he, he's one of those athletes that I think has gained so much popularity that you know he's people look at him and they they look at him as as an icon and what he's been able to do in the pool. You know, for what, is it five, six Olympics now that he's, that he's been competing in and, and doing it at a high level? I mean, 22 gold medals. I mean, that's that's ridiculous right there. That's, a, <laughs> that's on a whole other level compared to everybody else. And, you know, I think you kind of have an idea of just the popularity of him in this country when, you know, last night he's from Baltimore. So, you know, the, the Ravens are playing a preseason game at home. And in the fourth quarter on the big screen of an NFL football game, which we all know in the United States is, you know, the end-all, be-all of everything, they, they basically – Showed that race, Michael Phelps' race, on the big screen during an NFL game. I mean, that's kind of the the popularity level of that guy here in this country, and it's incredible to watch, and it's cool to see him kind of bounce back and and really do what he's been able to do in the pool here so far in, in these Olympics, and especially when you when you look at all the you know out of the pool stuff with the DUIs and all the other kind of side stuff that's going it seems like hopefully he's got his life turned back around and is able to go out and compete and just be a great swimmer for this country and maybe you know continue it in four more years we'll see if he can if he can go that route or even wants to go that route but it's been really fun to watch him do that.
1: Okay, well, he's in the pool again doing the uh, the the butterfly here. I hope you have a TV, and I'm not taking you away from this race, but uh, we'll, we'll let people know what what happens. Uh, Drew Spivak from Denver Sports Radio 760 joining us here on Inside Sports. The, the Colorado Avalanche have been an interesting team to watch this summer because of the whole Tyson-Berry saga, and, and I, you, I know you mentioned the Broncos played yesterday, so that was probably dominating your programming, but still, it had to be pretty significant that, uh, a guy who's been an icon with the franchise and had been coaching the team for the last 3 years decides like in, in mid August yeah I, I i'm not going to do it patrick waugh stepped on aside yesterday
2: yeah I, you know here we are i mean a day and a half later since it all kind of went down yesterday afternoon and i'm still i'm still shocked by the news to
3: be honest with you i mean i,
2: I always kind of figured that this was how patrick waugh was going to was going to leave the avalanche i never for a second thought you know, if things went south, if things continued to go bad for this team, that, that he would get fired. I never thought they would get to that route. I always thought, well, kind of given Patrick Waugh's nature, given what happened with him in Montreal when he was a player and, and demanding the trade for Mario Tremblay and, and how he ended up in Colorado to begin with and just kind of the, the Patrick Waugh persona and the personality, I always kind of thought that this was the way that it was going to go down. But to have it go down 40 days before the Avalanche began training camp and, you know, really putting the organization in a bind and really just out of nowhere. I mean, just all indications were that things were fine. Things were great with him and Joe Sackick. And, and he had, you know, a plan heading into next season to try to improve this club. And then he releases that statement yesterday basically saying that him and Joe Sackick are not on the same page. I mean, it was, it was kind of shocking to see. But I think when you kind of go back and you look at it in hindsight, and you see maybe some of the things that – that he started saying towards the end of the season and maybe the way he he acted on the bench you know because he was always a guy that he's always involved in everything he was always whistling and and calling out line changes and just really involved it on the bench and you go back to the last i don't know five six seven games of the avalanche season last year and he just he looked lost he just kind of sat there with his hands in his pockets with weird looks on his face he just he, he looked like he was a beaten man and a defeated man, and he didn't quite know what to do anymore. And, and it was just kind of sad to see And I guess, with the way that you know, they've started to kind of shift in the draft this year with, with drafting more, you know, WHL players, not really drafting out of the queue and going more NCAA heavy. I guess you could kind of see the shift in philosophies and that, that Patrick Waugh really wasn't involved anymore. But, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still quite shocked by the news and just, the, just really the timing of the whole thing and how it all went down.
1: Uh, Michael Phelps gets a silver in the men's 100-meter butterfly, a three-way tie for silver medal at 51.14 oh, wow. seconds. So that's that's an interesting story. Before I let you go, I mean, we, we talked a couple other sports and Olympics off the top, and you mentioned how big the Broncos are. Tell me what the hierarchy is for uh, sports interest in, in Denver and the state of Colorado. I mean, is it NFL, NCAA, and then maybe the Avalanche, or are the, the Rockies bigger? How would you say it?
2: You know, in Denver, it's it's the Broncos number one, the Broncos number two, the Broncos number three. And then after that is pretty much whoever else is good and competitive that season. You know, when the Avalanche made their run a couple years ago, they started getting a little bit more interest throughout the city. You know, when the Rockies, when, you know, they've only been good really about three out of their 20... 20- Four years of existence, right. so they really haven't gotten a lot of uh, a lot of love in the city. But when they have been good and competitive, they are talked about. But it's always about the Broncos here. It's you know they they're the team that you can count on every year to be consistently good. I mean, I think they've had two, maybe three bad seasons. What in the last 15, 16 years? I mean, they're just they're always good. And, and you know they're the first team here. All the all the natives here they they grew up with the Broncos being here from the '60s. They all kind of rely on that team you know the nuggets they've always pretty much been bad i know they've been here almost as long as the broncos have and they've always pretty much been bad but it's always about the broncos here all the time and if another team steps up and is competitive that season then then they get a little bit more you know interest involved in it but it, no question it's always the broncos one two and three i mean it's a it's a 24-7 365 broncos town all the way
1: Drew, I completely forgot about the Nuggets, but you could probably understand why Canadian and Northern Alberta, the Nuggets weren't the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> so,
2: Yeah, understandable. Trust me, most people over here kind of forget about the Nuggets, especially now that Carmelo Anthony's gone, and, and they're not really all that competitive anymore. A lot of people don't really consider them in the uh, in the realm of Denver sports anymore either.
1: Drew, thanks for making time for us, especially on a Friday night. Really appreciate your insight into why and the Avalanche, and uh, all the best, buddy. Maybe we can talk some Broncos during the season.
2: Hey, anytime. I'm happy to do it. Just give me a call whenever, and uh, thanks for having me on tonight.
1: Excellent stuff. That is Drew Spivak checking in with Denver Sports 760. So, uh, yeah, he was a little uh, little surprised yesterday. Patrick was stepping aside, but uh, as, as he said, apparently a coach that had uh, lost a little bit of interest and uh, didn't see himself going in the same direction as where Joe Sackick wanted to go. It is uh, Inside Sports on 630. Chet. It is 718. Canada did get a medal about, uh, what, 13 minutes ago? or so. Hillary Caldwell in the 200 meter backstroke getting a bronze, Canada's medal total is up to uh, 10. We have some Eskimos discussion ahead. Hey, they pulled it out last night, wasn't pretty, but they got it done. They're 3 and 4 on the season. Blake Dermott is going to check in. We'll have some open line time as well. 7804960063. Hi,
3: this is Ryan Dugan-Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, Inside Sports
1: on 630 Chad. Good to have you along for the ride tonight. Hope you have a great weekend planned. Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the window this evening. Kellen, old boy, how's life? Good. Where were you the other night? You were watching some auto racing, or you were hoping to? What happened? Yeah,
3: I was hoping to do some auto racing on Wednesday. The uh, hot August night uh, uh, drag race at the Castro Raceway South End of Town. Uh, rained out Wednesday, but they did go last night, Thursday, and had a great crowd. was looking at some of the photos online and that stuff, and awesome stuff. This is all uh, drag racing? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you're big into that, aren't you? Big time, yep. Yeah. Big time. Cool. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was uh, Wednesday I saw you? Yeah, yeah, I golfed Wednesday morning out at I, the quarry. I saw that you're yeah, great uh, stuff,
3: messing around with your golf bag. When I pulled pulled in here, I pulled in from the, the, the interest of full disclosure. I pulled in from the track, and work is on my way home from the track. So I pulled in just to chat with Matt Panasiak a little bit and good guy. see what's going on. You're both too. good guys. I'm coming off of vacation too, so I'm just trying to get caught up with what's been going on here. That's all.
1: Yeah, well, so. you haven't missed a lot. Brian right. Hall's still here. Yep. I seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a text here to 63630 from Will Capaldia who says, Reed, please explain to me why the Bowman touchdown was called back. I'm glad you brought that up because here's the thing. As we now know, coaches can challenge a lot more in the Canadian Football League. And one of the things they can challenge for is uh, illegal interference. And that's what happened uh, on that play. Miller was called for it. So, uh, Riley uh, rolled out. It, it was supposed to be. Bowman came across the formation left to right, and it was supposed to be a quick pass to him. Now, I, I they, they didn't show uh, a replay in the stadium that really showed it. I think we got Section O calling in here, buddy. Uh, we'll get him on. So, I think Miller started blocking, and then the pass wasn't thrown, and so then that became illegal blocking downfield. It wasn't called by the officials. Montreal challenged it, so good for them. Um, it probably was the right call. It's it's probably a ticky-tack call, uh, but it is one of the areas where a team can now make a challenge, and it cost the Eskimos a touchdown, and in any other year in the Canadian Football League, it would not have been called. That st- type of blocking probably happens on a lot of passing plays in the CFL, and i think they're hard to detect some of the blocking away from the ball or a bit of an early block to try to try to spring a receiver the eskimos uh didn't get away with it there because of video review here's what we're going to do kellen we'll bump some commercials to the next half hour so we can give matthew about three minutes here before the news matt from section o what's up buddy
0: hey can you can you hear me okay
1: i think so yeah let's rock here
0: yeah hey so that wasn't the game that i was quite expecting yesterday but, however, all intents purposes, minus the two fumbles on the one-yard line and a, and a TD that was called back and just some minor things there, it should have been a blowout. But, uh, whatever, it is what it is. The defense, again, came to play. The offense, though, still has not been firing on all cylinders yet. And I kind of half asked Dave again yesterday, the same question I asked you is, is, do you really think Mike Riley is still disguising that injury? And then I seen a tweet today from Nick Lewis that said he displaced some ribs. And then at the end of that tweet, kind of cryptically, he said, I want to be like Mike, followed it up with another tweet that says I was talking about at Reichster13, which is Mike Riley's Twitter oh, handle. Oh, I didn't
1: see that. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I'm sitting back on my couch today, and I'm looking at it. I'm going, you know what? That's, that's got to add some more uh, fuel to my conspiracy theory that I've got that Mike Riley is playing hurt. Now, I want to switch topics on that, and very quickly, because I don't have a lot of time I know, I want to talk about Grant Shaw, who has not been playing to the best of his abilities that we know he can lately. He can't put a ball into Coffin Corner, and I just seen a a tweet just a couple of minutes ago as I was preparing for this phone call, he's averaging 26 yards a punt. My question to you is...
1: Whoa, net or gross? That has to be net.
0: It's it's I I I can't pull the tweet up cuz I'm on the phone right now okay, but sorry. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll screenshot it and I'll send it to you but yeah he's averaging he had 8 8 punts for 301 yards then something 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 averaging 26 yards a punt. My question to you is though although White can't punt as good as Shaw do we keep two kickers on the roster though?
1: Uh, Shaw, Shaw here's, here's, can do field okay. goals, but he hasn't done it in a while. No, White's a better place kicker, and Shaw usually. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing that irritates me about the punt game. Don't punt cross field. Yeah, and if you're going to exactly. punt cross field, don't put that much air under it because the Montreal guy was just taking it at full speed. Like if you're going to punt cross field, it has to be a dribbler. I would just sooner punt it tight to the sideline every time. Maybe it's predictable, but, I mean, the Eskimos were predictable last year, and they won 16 out of 20 games.
0: Watch when he's punting next, and it's better if you're watching it on TV because they always cut to Shaw when it bounces through the end zone. He rips his chin strap off the helmet. That's how you know right there that he screwed up, and I've been seeing that more out of Shaw this year than I have throughout his entire career when he's been with the Eskimos. He was solid when he was with uh, – Toronto, although Prefontaine was mostly the punter, yep. he came here, excelled, he was booming 50, 55-yard punts, but now he's just, I, I don't know what's going on this year with him, but hopefully he picks it up. And uh,
1: Well, they, they do need better punting, despite, the, I, I don't like the punting strategy, and then I don't like always the punter's execution. Yes, that's fair.
0: That's one of the things that people forget about the Canadian Football League. Special teams plays a huge role in field position. And if we're able to put Montreal back 10 or 20 more yards, then that's great field position for our defense. But when we're giving them center field almost the entire game, I mean, we're pretty much – our. Yeah. our Defense from there is pretty much handcuffed, and it's almost three points each time. Or you well. think
1: that you should have a team back on the 20, and they wind up getting the 40. You know, it's a it's a it's a letdown, even if the field position isn't a, isn't a killer right off the top. Matt, we got to go to the news. Thanks for calling, buddy. It's always good to talk to you after the games. Okay. See you next week. All right. That is Matt from Section O. It is Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad. A little more on your Green and Gold than their win over the Alouettes last night. When we get back, Blake Dermott's going to hop on the show. You're listening to Inside
0: Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 Chen.
1: Blue Jays in action tonight, trailing 5-2 to the Houston Astros. That's in, in uh, now into the top of the ninth. Francisco Lariano pitching for the Jays tonight. He went five and two-thirds. He allowed five runs on eight hits. He walked two. He struck out four. He allowed a home run. Uh, Donaldson grounded into a double play to score one of the Blue Jays' runs. You don't get an RBI for that. Uh, Saunders had a homer. That is his uh, 20th of the season, but the Jays are down 5-2. and uh, We'll see how Baltimore does later on tonight. Against uh, San Francisco, the Jays are, uh, well, looks like they're going to be tied if they lose this game. They're half a game up coming in. Uh Arod. Hey, Kellen Kennedy, this is it. That's it. This is it for A-Rod playing his uh final game. Mm-hmm. Yankees against the Rays. Just gonna check the box score here. Some people say good riddance, and uh well, that's actually what all people are saying is <laughs> good riddance. So he's DH'ing tonight. He's one for two with an RBI double. Yankees lead the Rays three-two. That is in the top of the fifth. You can text 630-630-780-4960063 is the phone number 2010 Winnipeg leading Toronto. Four minutes left in the third quarter in the CFL. Your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can call 310-GLASS today. The Edmonton Prospects playing game two of the Western Major Baseball League final. They lost last night in the opener to Swift Current. 3-0 was the score. In the third inning tonight, it is 2-0 for Swift Current. They will play tomorrow at 7 p.m. at the Edmonton Ballpark in uh, Game 3 of that series. Game 4, if necessary, will be played on Sunday. All right, so the Eskimos uh, got it done last night against the Alouettes, winning at 23-12. Uh, a game, yeah, they probably could have won by more, but they couldn't finish some drives to chime in on that. It is former Edmonton Eskimo, or in-game analyst here on 630, Chad, Blake Dermott. Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing good, Reed. A uh, little rush today, but doing pretty good. Good,
1: good. Well, th- uh, thanks for making time for us, and uh, man, the Eskimos, whether you want to uh, critique the details of the victory or not, and we'll talk about some of the things that went down last night, I, I imagine just a Uh, a lighter mood for the players when they woke up this morning
4: well whenever you win in this league uh any league for that matter i mean it's professional sports it's all about winning and uh, and as we said as we're breaking up the broadcast last night winning is a lot better than losing so (laughs) it's just it's that simple i i think it's been a little bit of a a rough road for this team uh, who hasn't seen this kind of a you know this kind of a patch in two or three seasons so to go through that and then to finally get a victory regardless of how it looked or how it felt, uh, is, uh, is a positive thing.
1: How do you evaluate the offense? I mean, Mike Riley threw for 300 yards, John White averaged over five yards a carry, two receivers had over a hundred yards yet it was a defensive touchdown that finally sealed the game and there were fumbles on the one yard line and, and all that kind of stuff. Is it, I mean, do you give them a passing grade or how do you look at it?
4: Well, I think I mean, there's, there's individuals that, uh, you know, that had, had really good games. I mean, uh, when, you, when you look at Darrell Walker and the numbers he put up, and then it, it could have even been better had he not fumbled the ball on the one-yard line. Uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you point the finger at an offense when there's an individual, uh, you know, makes that mistake or makes that error? And then with the fumble down on the one yard line again. I mean, they marched the length of the field. The offense produced what they were supposed to do. They they moved the ball down the field, but then they had an individual who. And these were you know these were legitimate. Uh, you give give credit to the Winnipeg defense. I mean, they caused the fumbles. They weren't they weren't things that. Uh, you no, know, it wasn't like a drop ball where it hit him in the chest. Uh, these were uh, this was a, a defense that was fighting for their lives. Uh, a team that they're you know fighting for. You know Montreal's uh, Montreal's defense story was. Uh, was uh, playing their hearts out, and we knew they were a good defense coming in. They had been fourth in the league in scoring against them. They they were strong, and they were putting up a fight. and uh, And that fight caused the uh, the Eskimos to make some mistakes and errors that kept the game close when it shouldn't have been. I mean, when you uh, when you think about the the points that they gave up, there's a minimum of fourteen points. But forget the uh, the momentum swing that that would have. Had. You, you imagine Edmonton gets the ball first drive, drives down the field, scores a touchdown, and then. And then gets the ball and moves again, and, and uh, the game the game would have been over in the first quarter had they been able to capitalize on on the effort that they'd put in at that point. But as what happens in, in most uh, sports, that if you don't put a team away, again yeah, these guys are fighting for their lives. Uh, Montreal Roffy kept, kept it close, 200. and the Eskimos allowed them to keep it close, and it became a game that shouldn't have been. This was a game that the Eskimos had in hand, you know, much like the Hamilton game. This this offense has uh, has done enough in in. You know, and sometimes in a half that they, they should have won the game, but they uh, they've allowed teams to hang around or let them back into the game, and and all of a sudden now they're they're uh, they're scrambling to to try to hang on to a victory when it's something that they should have had uh, packed up and sealed uh, by hat by the half.
1: Blake, I was listening to you on Oilers now with Brendan Ulrich yesterday, previewing the game and talking about the return of Justin Sorensen at center and how Simeon Rotier had to fill in at center for a couple games. And I, and I was really interested in the detail you brought up about the, the depth the offensive linemen play at and how if you have to transition from one position to another, it can change how and when you set your feet. And that was such a great detail from someone who's played the game, played that position, and knows how a step or two or a foot or two here or there could make a difference. Sorensen well, came back. Was there, a, was there a big impact? Did everybody look more comfortable to you? I think they did.
4: Um, I, I thought their offensive line. Well, you didn't see uh, you didn't see Riley uh, taking the shots that he took before. Uh, I mean, even a couple of roughing the passing penalties that they got against them were, you know, light brushes against the helmet. You probably uh, nick yourself harder shaving uh, most people. Um, and then the other thing the offensive line did was when when the uh, pass blocking uh, broke down they created enough lanes for Riley to take off and run and there was a two or three times where he ran for first downs and and those guys were able to widen the pocket and maintain their blocks and, and give him that comfortable feeling where he knows he can get out of trouble um when when uh, when he needs to unlike the the previous two games when the pocket started to break down there's no place for him to go and uh so that that made a big difference and and obviously with the with White getting the average carries that he did uh, he he uh he was doing that because that offensive line was giving him an opportunity to get through some holes and uh, and make and make the plays that he needed to make.
1: Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us here on Inside Sports. The Eskimos winning last night over the Alouettes to snap a, uh, a three-game losing streak. I, I want to ask you a question here about about the offense, uh, and it's something I brought up to Dave last night on the Points After Show when I called in, and. You know, you're right. As good as they have been, there have been some drives that stalled. And last night it was Walker 132 yards, Bowman 107 yards, and the next leading receiver was Watson with 24. And to me it speaks to the importance of a guy they had like Kenny Stafford last season who had 732 yards, and he scored nine touchdowns, and he he did well in in the playoffs in both the West Final and the Gray Cup. And I don't know, you know, I know Watson had a couple of big games early, and I know it's easier said than done, well, have to have three really good receivers on your team. But I, but a lot of a lot of discussion is about the guys they lost on defense. I, I think Kenny Stafford was a pretty significant loss, Blake.
4: You know, uh, he is a talented player, and uh, he's not here anymore, so there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But if you t- look at things in perspective— Mike Riley has thrown for more yards this season than he did on average any game last year, regardless of Kenny Stafford being there. Uh, he uh, he is way ahead of last year's pace. Uh, you know, people are talking about him. You know, maybe being able to throw for six thousand yards if, if his numbers maintain the level that they're at. Uh, so even with Stafford last year, he wasn't. He 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 was still wasn't getting the yards. So those yards that Stafford ha- got last year are beaten are being eaten up by a host of others, by Kuhorn, by Getzlaff, by uh, Corey Watson. Yeah, they're, maybe they're not getting the 100-yard games or the 70 or 80 yards per game, but but when, you know, I, I, I made a comment last night, I thought Getzlaff made two or three clutch catches and, and, uh, and was able to get first downs and made guys miss. A couple times he made guys miss. And so you spread that around to other people that becomes a much more potent offense than to have, you know, the two big targets and then maybe a third big target. If you've got... Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, you can look at Ottawa and say the same thing with all the guys had a thousand yards last year. If you got four guys that are that good, then you, that's pretty potent. But when you can spread it around amongst five receivers and c- include white in there, who uh, before uh, the game last week, I think was the third leading receiver at over 200 yards. So they've got some talent. They've got, uh, uh, they've got a lot of weapons. And with the exception of the two, uh, two guys, Walker and Bowman getting the big numbers, everybody else is contributing. And, uh, and one night, one game, it could, be, it could be somebody else that uh, has a 100-yard game, depending on who they're playing against. But I, I think from an offensive standpoint, if you've got two big guys, I mean, look at Montreal. They've got one. They've got uh, Deron Carter and then nobody else. And uh, so the Eskimos are, are sort of sitting in a luxurious position having two guys that are, they, I think, going into that game, they were three and uh, two and three in the league in, in yards and, and receptions. So, that's pretty talented when you when you've got two of them and then a bunch of other really good players.
1: Yeah. All right. So, uh, I, we should touch on the defense, I guess. We're making so much of the offense. Uh, we were making uh, a lot of the defense when they were allowing. 37 39 31 points earlier in the season um they've they've kept the uh the points against down certainly the last couple of games and they've scored touchdowns two games in a row how much is that uh how much of that is on the opponent and how much of that is how the defense was able to perform well I
4: suppose if you talk to um, if you if you talk to Benavides, he's probably saying it's on how the defense is
0: uh, <laughs> being able <laughs> right. to
4: perform you know i i i guess it's a perspective thing, right they uh they, the defense they they gotta play it up against an opponent, and uh it, it that opponent changes every week and uh they they do they they game plan for those guys, and in the last two weeks, I think that they've done really well against the opponents that they face unless you know one of them is the number one team in the east and uh, uh, and then the other one is the the last place team in the east, and they i thought they sort of managed the game plan pretty well, uh, except that it sort of fell apart in the last little bit of uh, the game last week uh, in, in the last drive. I, I thought the game was in, in hand after the interception, and then and then they allowed to come down the field and score. So they still have a little bit of ways to go, but to keep the team uh, with that kind of firepower to the, the level that they did at 23 points, I thought that was a pretty good outing. And, you know, really uh, one of the best, if not the best outings uh, uh, up to – this last, last night's game. So I, I, I'm seeing a lot of progress and uh, seeing progress throughout, seeing, uh, you know, you, they talk about the less and less mistakes and you know the, when the mistakes happen, the big plays happen, so you're seeing less of those. But still, you'll never play a perfect game. These guys will be talking the same language and in, g- in game 18, they'll be saying the f- same thing. we got to play consistent. we got to play 60 minutes. And, you know, and, and you can, I, I remember there's a, a couple, three years ago, the Eskimos or two years ago, the Eskimos would be, Right in games, and then in a uh, span of seven minutes, give up three touchdowns or two touchdowns, and then all of a sudden they're in a big hole, and and that's what can happen in in this game. So you really have to be playing at a consistent level throughout the whole game to be success to be successful on the long term over the course of the season. And uh, you know, thank God they haven't even hit the the uh, halfway point, and they're still not out of it, and they're still they're still right in the thick. Um, but they just can't afford to have any. They can't afford to regress from where they are now. They, they they've got to continue to move forward. Or, and if that happens, then uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a team that is going to be fun to
1: watch come the fall. All right. Well, Blake, always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks a lot for making time for us on Inside Sports, and we'll do this again soon. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. Have a good weekend. Blake Dermott checking in tonight. Our in-game analyst here for our Eskimos broadcasts on 6:30. Chad, the next one is next Saturday. Afternoon game, 2 p.m. kickoff, 12:30 pregame show. Eskimos in Toronto and the Argos are taking it from the Bombers tonight. 27-10, Winnipeg. One minute into the fourth quarter. Inside sports on 6:30. Chat at 7:47. Kellen, did you see what Tony Washington did last night? Did they put that on the TV? No, I didn't see it on the TV,
3: but I saw a still frame of that. I believe one of the sun photographers caught. That's uh, online, it's circulating around on Twitter and that stuff, just post clothesline.
1: <laughs> yeah, a if that fan makes sense. ran onto the field. Uh, it's it, To me, it's one issue that he got that far onto the field, seemingly undetected because yeah. I didn't see any security um, uh, chasing him. Mm-hmm. I hate when fans run onto the field. Mm-hmm. I hate when streakers run onto the field. I don't cheer. I think it's stupid. Mm-hmm. I think it's a violation of the sanctity of the field. Yep. I don't think fans belong on the field. I think if you run onto the field, I mean, I'm sure there's alcohol involved in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. but you should receive the maximum fine, whatever it is. It's thousands of dollars. Yep. Um, I, I certainly didn't want to see that guy get injured, no. um, but now maybe he has a taste of it, what the wow. actual contact you can receive. From a pro football player.
3: Remember, when you run out onto the field during a game like that, you are entering the player's house. That's their domain. You're entering their workplace. That's their workplace. You're entering their workplace. You don't belong there. You know, expect consequences. So, uh,
1: I mean, I don't don't know if Washington might get in trouble with that, you know, because it it was pretty hard. I mean, he was pretty aggressive what he did. But here's the thing. That fan is on the field, and we live in a day day and age where a lot of nasty stuff has happened around the world. Right. And I'm not comparing one guy running onto the field with some of the tragedies we've seen recently, France, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we don't know what that guy's intention was. Maybe he's drunk and he just wants to get the football and pretend to score a touchdown. Maybe he hates one of the players on the field and wants to stab him. You don't know. Yeah. That's the worst case scenario. So if I you know, if I'm a player and I see a clown running on the field and I don't know what he wanna, I don't know what he wants to do to me, to the other team, to the mm-hmm. refs. Yeah. Quite frankly, I I'm glad Washington did that. Now yeah. I, I hope the guy's not not injured, obviously. I d I don't want to sound overly malicious about it. But if you run on the field, I'm not saying you're an idiot, but you have done something idiotic. Yeah. And there are consequences for that. And and that fan experienced those last night. The photo, too bad.
3: the photo that's going around is amazing. Like, it's just post-impact, and you can see Washington's hand just right coming back in, a, in kind of the claw motion and that stuff. The guy's feet are just leaving the ground underneath him and that stuff, and just the hat's kind of knocked. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Don't uh it's enter not a good idea. Don't go where you don't belong. Yeah. Stay Especially, in the stands. Yeah.
1: Stay exactly. in the stands. Uh, all right. It's 750. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 496 eight zero four nine six-0063. We'll look a little uh, deeper into the fine levied against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders between eight and nine tonight.
0: You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed
3: Wilkins.
1: I forgot to mention the Olympic uh, golf it here. Marcus Fraser from Australia in the lead, minus 10. Grim DeLette, Canadian, sixth place. He's five shots off the lead. He is three points, or three points, three shots out of a medal position. David Hearn, one over par, he is 37th. No cut in this golf tournament. They all get to play rounds three and four on the weekend. Uh, Canada has uh, won three medals today. Rosie McLennan got gold in trampoline. We had a silver in rowing. And tonight, a bronze in the 200-meter backstroke from Hillary Caldwell. Canada's medal total is up to 10. Two gold, two silver, and uh, six bronze. That adds up to 10. Uh, LeBron James, by the way, making it official today, that $100 million contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers over the next three years. So uh, we had Phil Esposito on the top of the show. And uh, he said that he used to have to work in the off season. LeBron yes. James does not need to work in the off season. Maybe he'll want to though, just you know, to make a little extra spending cash. He
3: might set up a lemonade stand on the corner of this place in Cleveland <laughs> and sell some lemonade.
1: He's gonna LeBron James is gonna have some a lemonade no, stand. Just have some walking around money. Yeah. Well, I guess technically the hundred million dollar contract doesn't kick in until the season starts. What will he do in the meantime? He's going to need a lemonade stand. Maybe, yep. You know, maybe I, I, cutting lawns? He's no, missed most no, of the summer, though. No, he, he seems like a lemonade stand type guy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what a lemonade stand type guy looks like. Usually about four years old. Yeah. I got to tell you. <laughs> as uh, you know my, uh, my mother, I mentioned her on this show several times. So uh, we walk... To commonwealth stadium mm-hmm. and these kids have a lemonade stand and mom always gives them a loony, but doesn't buy any lemonade because she doesn't want him oh let's just give them something she think, should get something for the loonie she's teaching them that they can get something for nothing yes so when the future generation of edmontonians want handouts you can blame louise wilkins everybody Uh, you know, I hope she's not listening. You know, I don't, she's probably listening. You know what, though? My mom's going to like this next segment because okay. it's about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders getting in trouble. Ah, My mom yes. hates the Saskatchewan Rough Riders more than anything else on the planet. Daryl Davis from Three Down Nation when we get back.